It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. That's why we came. It's not about us. It's not about obligation. It's about being in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the middle. Look around. I think we got that covered this morning. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. I know we got a lot of people taking their last minute vacations and we're going to be back. Can't wait to get the whole family back so we can just really, really start making an impact again in the community for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start a new series today. It's going to go five weeks. It's entitled Stories That Change the World, the Parables of Jesus. You know, Jesus came and absolutely changed the world. He made everything different because he came and gave us divine guidance of who God is, how God thinks, and what God expects from us. He used parables a lot to do that. And a parable is simply a heavenly story put into an earthly perspective in which all the elements represent someone or something else. Now Jesus had to use parables because, think about it, here is Jesus, he is God. And he's walking among men, and he's trying to communicate to us these eternally significant, these eternally awesome truths about who he is and about his kingdom. And I mean, here we are, these little finite uh, human beings, and we have such a limited perspective of godly things. And so what Jesus did often is he would break down these hard-to-understand heavenly kind of perspectives into common-day stories that we could relate to and understand. Today we're going to look at a story in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, that we're going to call the parable of generosity. If you open your Bibles to that passage, it's probably going to say something like the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now this is a parable that changed the world. It really is. And I hope it will change your life today. Now, before we can jump into this parable, we've got to backtrack a little bit. We've got to go back to chapter 19, because chapter 19 sets the parable up. Chapter 19 tells us why Jesus shared this parable. And it's a result of two encounters. The first one was with a rich young ruler who came to Jesus as Jesus is just wandering around the countryside. And he says to Jesus, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's his question. What do I got to do to get to heaven? Now Jesus immediately answers him and says, why do you ask that question? Because there's only one who is good. See, Jesus knows it's not about what you do to get to heaven. It's about who you get to heaven through. And he knew that he was going to be that sacrifice. But this young guy, he wasn't ready for that. And so Jesus said, okay, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And the young man said, well, which ones? See, we think of the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments is like the table of contents to the Hebrew law. There was like 613 commandments. So he says, which ones? And so Jesus starts reciting the Ten Commandments. He said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. The guy interrupts and says, all these I've done. In a parallel gospel, it says, that he says, since I was a little child, all of these I've kept. And he says, what do I still lack? Now, i got to believe that Jesus kind of smirked when he gave this response. I mean, think about it. Look at this. Do not murder. Okay, maybe he was good there. Do not commit adultery. Jesus had taught his whole ministry that if a man looks at a woman with lust, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Think this guy never lusted at a woman? Not if he's a normal human being. Do not steal. He's a successful, wealthy business guy. Think he never misrepresented a deal? Come on. Do not give false testimony. Never said anything false. Never gossiped about anybody his entire life since he was a little child, right? 
Honor your father and mother. Yeah, how many of your parents? How many of your kids have honored you your entire life? Or how many of you as a child ever did your parents? Now, we, we all failed that one. Love your neighbors yourself. You know, obviously, he had not done what he claimed to do. So Jesus comes back and he, he raises up the gas and he says this. All right, he says, if you want to be perfect like you say you are, here's what you need to do. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come follow me. Now see, Jesus still got back to himself. He didn't say that if you sell all your possessions and keep the commandments, you're going to get to heaven. He said, follow me. I'll get you to heaven. But he was trying to make a point. And he made his point because the Bible says in Matthew 19.22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. He was very wealthy. He wasn't about to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. Now, in response to this event, Jesus says this to his disciples who were gathered around. They had witnessed this. In verse 23, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And by this, the Bible says in the next verses that his disciples were astonished. And they said, well, if that's true, how's anybody going to get into the kingdom of God? See, because they were thinking the same way the rich young ruler was thinking. They were thinking, what thing do I need to do to get into heaven? And they were thinking, if a rich guy who could build a whole synagogue, who could build a school, who could build a hospital, if he can't get there, then what hope do any of us have? And Jesus responded by saying, all things are possible with God. That's the first encounter. Now, Peter then provides us the second encounter that motivates Jesus to share the parable. Jesus, Peter follows it up in Matthew 19, 27 by saying this. Peter answered Jesus to this. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? See, Peter says, well, we did exactly what you told the rich guy to do. You told him to sell everything he has and follow us. That's exactly what we've done. So, Jesus, tell me, what's in it for us? What's in it for us? Now, Jesus gives them an immediate response. And he says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will sit on twelve thrones, judging twelve tribes of Israel. He says, he says you're going to get a payoff for what you're doing. And he goes on to say, in fact, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Then Jesus launches into the parable that we're going to look at with this phrase. But, Peter, but, Matthew, James, and John, many who are first shall be last, and many who are last shall be first. Now, you've got to understand that this whole parable we're going to look at this morning is bookend between that statement. Jesus says it twice. He starts the parable by saying, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, and he ends the parable with the same words. So what is this parable that changed the world? What is this parable that can change my life and your life? Well, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. Now, I put the parentheses in here. That's about 6 a.m. That's when the workday started in Israel. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, here's the scene. The landowner goes to the marketplace 
where a lot of the day laborers kind of hung out waiting for somebody to come and hire them. And it was typical in that day. It's typical in a lot of cities today. Same thing still happens. So they all gathered in this one place, and this vineyard keeper went out to find some guys to work in his field that day. And he found some guys, and he agreed to pay them a denarius. Now, understand that this group of people, in the eyes of those who lived at this time, were at the lowest end of the social strata, these day workers. In fact, it was said that even a slave had better opportunity in life than these guys. Because a slave belonged to somebody, and that somebody was going to make sure that the slave ate and had a nice place to to sleep. But these guys, they were going from day to day. They were dependent on each day someone's generosity. And so they were considered the most misfortuned of all people in Israel. So he comes, and he gives them an opportunity to work that day. And he tells them he's going to pay them a denarius. Now, for you and I, we go, okay, a denarius. And what's a denarius? Well, a denarius was the wage that the Roman army paid a Roman soldier for a day's service in the Roman army. It was a great wage compared to the wage they would receive every day by going into the fields. So when they heard that Jesus, or that the landover in this story was going to pay a denarius, the people's eyes would have lit up and they would go, sweet deal. You're going to pay them a denarius. Wow, that's great. And you see, there's no hesitation. These guys go right out into the field. Because it's an awesome wage that he's giving them. Now the parable goes on. About the third hour, that's about 9 a.m., he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. To them, he says, I'll tell you what, guys go out and work in my vineyard, and I'll make sure I'll treat you right. And so they went out into the vineyard too. Well, later on, it says in in, in verse 5, he went out again about the sixth hour, that's about noon, and the ninth hour, that's about 3 o'clock p.m., and did the same thing. He goes out and finds more. Invites him to go work in his vineyard, I'll take care of you, I'll pay you a fair wage. Then it says about the 11th hour, now we're talking 5 o'clock p.m., the workday ends at 6. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day long doing nothing? And their response is this, because no one's hired us, they said. But he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And and the same kind of idea is there, and I'll I'll give you a fair wage. Now these guys, the last hour of the workday. And no one had hired them. Now, now we don't know exactly why that is, or, but probably the people in the parable or that, that Jesus was speaking the parable to would have, would have related to it because oftentimes those who were not really robust-looking workers would be overlooked by the people hiring people. They'd be looking for the strong guys because thinking they could get a lot of work out of them. Or maybe these were the ones who had some physical handicap or something like that. So they were the leftovers. They were the runt of the, uh, of the litter. And they didn't get hired. So he even went to them and he says, okay, you got an hour left, go ahead and work in my vineyard. Now here's where the parable gets interesting. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. He reverses the pay. Now understand, this was common. The people would have understood this also. It was a Hebrew law that you had to pay day workers the same day they worked. You couldn't hire them for the week and at the end of the week give them a paycheck. You had to pay them that day. Why? Because if they didn't get paid that day, their family didn't eat that day. That's how desperate their financial situation was. And so it was a law that you had to pay them. So in in recognition of the law, he says to his foremen, call them in and give them their daily wage. But, he says, 
I want you to pay the ones who got here at 5 o'clock first, and then we'll work backwards to the ones who got here at 6 a.m. Now, look what happens. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock p.m., came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. I could just see this parable playing out in real life. These guys in the marketplace, man, they're going, and they're seeing these guys came at 5 o'clock and they get a denarius, the same wage a Roman soldier gets for a day in service to the Roman army. And they're thinking, man, we thought he meant a denarius for the day. He must have meant a denarius an hour. They must be thinking, sweet deal, we're in the money. We're in the money. Only to come forward to the foreman and receive a denarius. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand what's about to happen here, huh? When they received it, verse 11, they began to grumble against the land over it. You think? They said, these men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They said, what is this? What's up with this? This isn't right. This isn't fair. These guys, these Johnny-come-latelys come one hour and you give them the same pay that you gave us who worked 12 hours for you today, who worked in the heat of the day, who did most of the work. This isn't right. And you know, from our human perspective, we're saying, they're right. That's not right. That's not fair. Not fair. That's not just. That's not right. And if we were there, and we were that group in the parable who worked all day long, I bet we'd feel the same way. But that's the point God's making here in this parable. That fair has two sides to it. So the landowner begins to defend himself. And he says, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He said, take your pay and go. He said, I'm not being unfair. This morning, when you were looking for job, when you had no work, when you didn't know if your family's going to eat tonight, I came and I gave you an opportunity to go to work, and we agreed that you'd go work in my field for a denarius. And by the way, I was being very generous giving you a denarius. You didn't go kicking and screaming. You went enthusiastically. So I said, I haven't treated you unfair. I paid you exactly what we contracted you to work for. And he goes on, he says, I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. And he says to him, don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my money? It's not coming out of your pocket. I'm paying him, the denarius. He says, are you envious? Because I want to be generous. Now remember, this is a parable talking about heavenly things. What he's doing here is he's defining the character of God. See, in this story, and what the people of Jesus' day, they would have been connecting the dots, is this landowner paid everything the same thing 
Because he wasn't basing his generosity on their work performance or the hours they worked, but on their family's need. And he knew that church, the guys who came and worked all day long and agreed to work for Denarius, their families needed to eat that night. He gave them a really good pay so they'd have more than they usually had to eat and some money left over. But he also knew that those guys who maybe were less fortunate and didn't have the opportunity to work, they weren't lazy. They'd been waiting in the marketplace all day long, even up to the fifth hour, the last hour of the workday. They had families to feed too. He said, are you envious? Because I want to treat them kindly? Because I want their families to eat? Ah, Jesus wraps the parable up. So, Peter, so, James, so, John, the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, Jesus isn't holding a labor seminar. This isn't a union meeting. The parable is about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is going to be like. Two issues motivated Jesus to share this parable. Two questions. The rich young guy, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Peter, what then will be there for us? See, both questions challenge the character of God. If we want to reword the questions, the rich man's question would be, what will God demand of me in exchange for letting me into heaven? His real question is, so what's the ransom God? Jesus, you're this great prophet. You've been around here. You've worked miracles. We know you're a man from God. Okay, so level me. I'm a businessman. Come on, I can handle it. What's the pay? What do I got to pay God for him to let me into heaven? See, on the other hand, Peter's question was of one who has sacrificed for Christ, already had been with him for three years. And his question is, what's God's payoff for me for all this I've done for you? Those are the two questions that prompt the parable, and both of those questions challenge God's generosity. What do you demand, God? And okay, what are you going to give me, God? Questions men are still asking today. Now remember, a parable is a heavenly story put into a human perspective where everything represents something. In this parable, the landowner is God. The foreman who actually pays out the wage is Jesus. The vineyard is heaven. It's the kingdom of God. The workers are any man, any woman. And the payment is salvation. The rich man's question and challenge of God's character centered around kingdom entrance. The disciples' question and challenge as to the character of God centers around kingdom reward. And the parable 
answers both. Kingdom entrance? You want to know about kingdom entrance? You want to know how you get into heaven? Here's the answer from the parable. God's generosity. God's generosity. That's the only way. Amen. It's by invitation only. Did you note in the parable that all five times that this landowner hired people, he went out to the marketplace. They didn't find, they didn't come and walk looking around the, and see guys working in the vineyard and haul out the foreman. Hey, could you use another guy? Could you use a couple more hands? We need some work too. Can we come? No, they were in the marketplace. The owner, in this sense, God, went to the marketplace and invited them into the kingdom, into the vineyard. He didn't have to hire any of them. Jesus said in John 6.44, No one can come to the Father unless the Father, or coming to me, unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. In other words, no one can come to Jesus Christ who is the doorway to eternity unless God draws him there, unless God invites him there. Stop for a moment and think just how exclusive God could be in this invitation. God could say, I'm only going to invite those people who really go all in for me. Who give their time, their talents, and their time. That's it. I'm only going to invite those people. I'm only going to draw those people and let them discover what Jesus did on the cross. I'm only going to let the ones who are serious about me. Only the ones who have sacrificed for me. Only the ones... And he would be absolutely just. Because it's his kingdom. And he sets the rules. And no one could even challenge him in this. But here's his response. Everybody's invited. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter whether you've lived a life of faith or you've lived a life of indifference to God. And this is the last moment of your life as it was the thief on the cross who turned to Jesus and he said master remember me today in paradise and Jesus said today you will be with me in paradise that thief had no time to live for God doesn't matter how long you've served how long you've been around the church how old you are how young you are doesn't matter because God is generous and everybody's invited into the vineyard Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Romans 3.22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. When God is looking over the population of the earth, He's not looking for a certain color. He's not looking for a certain economic strata. He's not looking for a certain vocational area. He looks over all men and all women. And he says, I'll take every one of you. One condition. You've got to trust the king. See, only those who went out at 6 o'clock in this parable actually had a work contract. Only those who had agreed that they would work 12 hours for a denarius. Every other group that represented the parable, the guy said, I'll take care of you. I'll treat you fair. And they trusted the landowner and went and worked. 
believing he would be fair. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is not, God, what will you give me? I believe you'll be generous with me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father through me. The only way into heaven is to believe that's true. It's the only way. And it's out of God's absolute generosity. Kingdom entrance, only one way. God's generosity. And the good news is, you can't imagine how generous he is. And he wants you. And he wants every member of your family. And he wants every one of your neighbors. And he wants every one of your co-workers. He wants you in his vineyard. And he has made it absolutely, not only possible, but an assurity that you can get there. The other issue is kingdom reward. What's in it if we do? What's in it if we come on board? What's that based on? Same thing, God's generosity. It's another gift of grace. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23 and 24, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. He Himself, 1 Peter 2, 24, bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. And so, when we enter the vineyard, through His generosity, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, what's in it for us of a life of service? Well, more than we deserve. Much more than we deserve. That, that, that's the purpose of the parable. Every one of them, no matter how long they worked, got more than they deserved and more than anybody else would have given them. See, that's what Jesus said at the beginning of the parable before He launched into it. He says, Matthew 18, 28, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that is much more than we deserve. The psalmist got it right. In Psalm 103, verses 8 and verses 10 through 11 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, so great is His love for those that fear Him. And that word fear in the biblical context is not those who are afraid of Him, but those who reverence Him. Look what it says. He does not treat us as our sins, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can you imagine if he did? Can you imagine your state? Can I imagine my state? If he treated me justly for every time that I prayed to him, God, I will never do that again, only to do it again. And pray again, God, I, I promise this time, I will never do that again, only to do it again. Only later on a promise, but God, I'm really serious this time. Really, honestly, God, know my heart. I will never do that to do it again. How many times adversely I've prayed to God and said, God, I hear your voice. 
I'm going to obey. I'll, I'll do that. I, I'm going to do it, God. I will do dot, dot, dot. Or, God, if you'll get me out of this one. God, I've really messed up this time. If you'll get me out this time, God, I will dot, dot, dot. And God gets us out of it. Time after time, time, we forget about the dot, dot, dot. See, the whole point of this parable is that God is so much more generous than we deserve. God will not treat us as we deserve to be treated. He will not treat us in response to how we have responded to Him. Because God is a generous God. It's all about our attitude, not our actions. That's the bookends. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So that's how heaven's going to be. Jesus says to this parable, you know what heaven's going to look like? Here's what heaven's going to look like. A whole lot of the people that you think are going to be heaven aren't going to be there. So that's what heaven's going to be like. And a whole lot of the people that you don't think are going to be there are actually going to be the ones there. In fact, what the parable really says is both are going to be there. The people you think are going to be there, the people you don't think are going to be there may be there. But it depends not on their actions, it depends on their attitude. Did they humble themselves before Jesus Christ as their Savior? Did they allow God to be generous in their eternal existence? The same is going to be true of those who serve God. Depends on why you're serving them. There's a lot of people serve God so that mankind looks at them and says, Wow, man, I wish I could be like that. There's someone sold out for the kingdom of God. Oh, he, and boy, they just go, yeah, I am. That's what whole First Corinthians chapter three is about. That our works will be judged for what they really were, and if they survive the test of Jesus Christ examining them, then we'll get our reward. If not, we'll lose our reward. Now we'll get into heaven. It says, but like as one passing through the flames. The last will be first. You, you, you've probably heard me say this, and I believe this with all my heart. You know, I think when we get to the reward section of, of the kingdom, and Jesus is rewarding us for, for the investment that we've made for the kingdom of heaven with our lives, I, I don't think it's the Billy Grahams and the Rick Warrens and, and a whole lesser strata of the Pete Tokars that he's going to want to talk to first. You know, all the preachers, we're all going to gather around. Oh, we served you God. We... I could have been a professional trumpet player. Or I could have been this. I could have been, you know, we served you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get to you. I appreciate that. Hey, but you guys, you back. Come here. Come here. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you first. Come on down here. Come on down here. My daughter, I've seen you week after week working in that nursery at Florida Bible Church. I've seen you changing those diapers. I've seen you cradling those sick kids. I've seen you over and over again. I want to talk to you for a while. I got some stuff I want to give you. You, you sir. Hey, Billy, sit down. I'm going to be with you in a minute. You, sir. Come over here. Okay, come here and stand here. 
I've seen you on Saturday morning when you and a handful of guys come up and set up these chairs so Florida Bible Church could be ready for people to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I could be generous in their life. I got some things I want to give you. You, you, miss, come over here. Yeah, yeah, preachers, yeah, I'm going to get you. You can sit down. Come on. Come over here. You've worked Awana. You've been an Awana club leader. You've been an Awana club volunteer. No one knew you were doing it. The kids, a couple parents. And, and, and it was hard. And it was tiring. But you stayed the course and you finished it. Oh, I've got some things. I want to be generous to you. See, oftentimes those that we think are going to be the first aren't going to be the first at all. They're going to be the last. But here's the real parable. It's about how generous God wants to be. It's the opposite of what we think about Him and what religions have made of Him. God wants to be so generous to you. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. Because He loves you. And you're His creation. book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7 says today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart let's bow our heads maybe you're here today you're a believer and you're part of Florida Bible Church that is the work and serving act of sacrificing population. And you're tired because you've been carrying the load for a long time. And you're thinking about giving it up. Listen, the parable today says to you, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because God is going to be so generous to you. Maybe you're here today and your question's like Peter's. You're saying, why should I get involved? Why should I give so much of my time and my resources to Florida Bible Church or any other church? What's in it for me? The message to you, my friend, is this. Don't you worry about God's generosity. His part of the equation is more than covered. The issue is Will you come in work in the vineyard? Maybe you're here today and you think you've squandered your life. Either because of the kind of life you've lived or the kind of life that you haven't lived. The parable today says to you, it's not too late. You say, you don't understand, Pastor, I'm old. I don't have many years left. What can I possibly accumulate from the Master that He could reward me for? That's the parable. It's not based on time. It's based on attitude. You can get involved right now. 
And God will be as generous to you as to those who have served Him for 30, 40, 50 years. But you're here today and you've never responded to God's generosity concerning the forgiveness of your sins, your eternal destiny. God wants to be generous to you today. God wants to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. God wants to give you the promise of eternal life. All you've got to do is trust Him. You can't earn it. There's no one thing you've got to do. You just have to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And right now you can trust Him by just praying something like this. God, I do want you to be my God. And I'm right now confessing to you how much I want your forgiveness. God, I need your generosity in my soul. God, I get it now. There's nothing I've got to do. You've already done everything required by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus, as best as I understand what this pastor is saying, today I'm transferring my confidence off of my own goodness and I'm transferring my confidence onto you. Jesus, today I call upon the name of the Son of God, you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Pay my sin debt with your sacrifice. Adopt me into the family of God. If you did that, then God has given you His eternal generosity. For the Bible says in 1 John 5.13, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for this declaration through this simple parable. Thank you for identifying to us who God really is. That God is generous. That His passion is to give us more than we deserve. Including the forgiveness of all the times that we've rebelled and sinned against Him. Now, Father, help us to live out of your generosity, not out of a sense of obligation. And help us to serve knowing that no matter how much time we give, no matter how much of our resources we give to you, that, God, we are never, ever going to be able to outgive you. Because you are generous. Thank you, God, for who you are. Help us to have that image of you every day, every step of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, know how God loves you. Know how generous he wants to be towards you. Don't you worry about him side of the equation. He's got it covered more than you ever can imagine. Just live for him. And God will do the rest.